0: Hi, and welcome everyone to the I Have a Dream podcast, where host Rajan Navani initiates candid conversations with industry leaders and experts to explore their aspirations for India as we enter a golden period. Rajan is the National Chairman of CII's Council on Future Businesses, India at 75, and the Artificial Intelligence Task Force. And Chairman, Managing Director, and CEO of Jet Synthesis. Today's episode features K V Kamath, past President of CII and former President of the New Development Bank, where he shares the roadmap to take India's three trillion dollar economy to forty trillion dollars by India at 100. To find out more, stay tuned. So, very
1: good afternoon. To all of you, ladies and gentlemen, joining us here in India, and those who are, you know, from different parts of the world, a very good morning and a very good evening to you. Uh, We are here today, you know, on an interesting subject, uh, something that you know CII has anchored over the past fifteen years, right from the time India turned sixty, a journey from India at sixty to India at seventy-five, and I think as we celebrate what we have achieved uh, as an economy. I think it's also time for us to think forward to see how we can, you know, strengthen the position where we are today in India and really envision what India would look like in 2047 as we move towards India at 100. And really, this journey actually started when, you know, the guest we have here with us today, uh, I would like to say K.V. Kamath was the president of CII. Um, And, you know, I still remember, you know, him saying at that point in time that it is the India of the young people. Uh, It is the India that is going to really, you know, of the people of different backgrounds coming together to unlock the true power of what a diverse country like ours has, but also built on very strong fundamentals of a history. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, Kamath, your inspiration at that point you know enabled people like me and many others to sustain our engagement around this initiative and here we are today as we celebrate our amrit mahotsav and you know our prime minister in a in a recent discussion also with cii encouraged us uh, to really envision what india would look like in the next 25 years uh, to capture different aspirations as well as experience of what it will take for us to build that india And, you know, today uh, we have with us not only the past president of CII, but of course, a person who needs no introduction, uh, not only in an Indian context, but in a global context. Uh, The man who really built ICICI to the institution, you know, that it is today, having been there for a first stint, then having moved to Southeast Asia and then rejoined and spent, you know, over 20 20 years uh, to build it to the institution that it is. Sri Kevi Kamath has also served as the chairman of Infosys. Uh, he has been the first president of the new development bank set up by BRICS, currently, chairman of the National Bank for Financing Infrastructure and Development. Padma Bhushan, of course, somebody who I think uh, has achieved so much over these years that we are really privileged, you know, Kamath dear, to have you here with us today and pick your brains. Uh, on how do we really you know uh, take India from a three trillion uh, to a forty trillion dollar economy uh, over the next twenty five years. And you know, I just want to uh, kick start this uh, conversation by reminding you of uh, a conversation that we had you may not remember, but I often quote, uh, you know you uh, we were talking of how do we engage large number of farmers in India to really think about what India can be. And, you know, when I proposed the number of 1 million to you, you had said, why don't we add a zero to that, right? I think I think the ability for you to see size and scale very differently uh, is really what, you know, also is the encouragement for the topic today. You know, how do we really add a zero uh, and plus, you know, to a $3 trillion economy? Of course, we've seen great progress, you know, the last trillion dollar, but added in five years, the one prior to that took 12 years and the first trillion, of course, took you know uh, over five decades. So if we were to really turbocharge and accelerate the growth of India from where we are, uh, it's a very ambitious target. But if you were to, to, to see India moving at this size and scale, what in your view is, is the strategy, the roadmap, and how can we see this happen?
2: Thank you, Rajan. I think uh, I warmly remember uh, going back uh, 15 years. Uh, I was 16 and I'm 75, so I have traversed those uh, 15 years doing various things. But coming to uh, the subject matter, I think the goal is uh, achievable. i put it in context in a moment. Uh, the context is whenever you set a goal, what is uh, the environment? What are the ground conditions? What are the, the boundary conditions? All these need to be looked at. And if you look at India, there is such a lot to be done. Uh, you know, what's called Amrit Kal. to me is what, ha- what needs to be done and what needs to be done over the 25-year horizon. So it gives you ample opportunity to grow in double digits. Now, whether we'll grow in double digits above that or we'll just fall short, we we will see. But if you did not have the growth opportunity, you would have fallen short. So, growth opportunity just in uh, one minute. Everywhere you look around you, uh, there is an opportunity. You need to build infrastructure, whether it's road, whether it's high-speed rail, bullet trains, so on. Ports, airports, telecommunication, we are on par with the best in the world. Urban rejuvenation itself is a big, big... uh, Our cities need to be rebuilt. Transportation needs to be uh, provided. Uh, water supply, sewage needs to be improved. So I see opportunity all around. Second layer, you then have the housing opportunity to house uh, 1.4 billion uh, people plus, uh, most of whom have a, a boat, uh, I would say, which uh, they dream of. So uh, we, uh, we have that opportunity. We can go down and uh, feel this opportunity onion as it were, and we see things to do over uh, the Amrit Kaal that uh, we have. I think it is the collective effort to drive this uh, at the municipal level, at the state level, national level, public sector, private sector, which will help us get this. So just to give this nuance, I would think given some challenges that we faced in our early efforts to roll out infrastructure by the private sector, for a variety of reasons, we won't dwell into that. Just now, the government is, uh, you know, I would say, the chief uh, driver of infrastructure in the country. And it will probably be for a, a few years still... Uh, we build the confidence that uh, the private sector can go ahead and do this at speed, scale, and not get stuck. Uh, I would think till uh, then government is required to drive infrastructure. But almost everything else, the private sector uh, has to do, has been doing, and will do. And the opportunity is there. So uh, to me, the, the pie is so huge that achieving this target that we are setting, uh, 40 billion in uh, the next 25 years, is a, is a doable, uh, very much doable I will just add one more uh, layer to this and then go on to uh, your next uh, point. That is, this is looking at conventional growth drivers. All that I talked about are conventional growth drivers which we need to do. There's another layer which has come up in the last two, three years, just two, three years in India, which is the digital layer. And uh, we have not yet factored in the digital opportunity into the overall economic growth opportunity. If I look at uh, near numbers, let's take China, for example, 30 to 35% of the economy is digital today. In India, probably it is less than 5%, right? Not three, four, 5%. Now, even if we were to go to 25% of the overall pie, and we are going to grow at 8%, 9% in all the other areas that we're talking of, digital will take you well over 10%. So to me, uh, aspiring for a 10% growth is what the nation needs to do. The opportunity is there. I think funding will happen. Funding will happen through a variety of uh, A, Your internal generation, as uh, you grow, uh, the surplus is thrown up, will provide support. There will be uh, appropriate uh, inflows as necessary from uh, the globe because this is going to be a very attractive destination. I would believe primarily it will be by equity, could be by debt. But I would think the cash generation in this country itself will drive this growth. So I don't see a challenge in opportunity. I don't see a challenge in uh, people, their entrepreneurial drive. and. The will to uh, drive things, and I don't see an opportunity in funding. So, I am an optimist, and I believe uh, the target that we are talking of is indeed achievable.
1: Your optimism uh, is is so infectious, you know. And I think uh, you you very well articulated both the opportunity, the different layers, and also the funding. But you know, uh, you rightly said that you know the infrastructure plays where government is 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 deeply involved everything else, you know, industry is kind of taking a lead and and building upon. How does, you know, really government and industry work together to unlock this vision? Of course, we'll have to take many other stakeholders along. I think there are new emerging, you know, technologies that, you know, like what you rightly said, would need to be taken into effect when we are looking at uh, issues of, you know, maybe climate change and others, you know, so there are many other aspects that, you know, come into this entire growth piece, but particularly government and industry working together. How how have you seen that work in India? How have you seen it work in other parts of the
2: world? Where do you uh, see that? See, what I have noticed, Rajan, is that wherever there are, take infrastructure, for example, there again are several uh, touch points where the government is the key, uh, I would say, more one land, uh, things to do around the environment, environmental clearances, forest, then you move on to certain industries, uh, uh, mineral and other rights. It could uh, digital uh, rights, it could be mineral rights. Anything that is government in the government's domain, I think some of these, I think it's better that the government does it because still we go through the learning curve that uh, you know the allocation of these or the auctioning of these or uh, whatever is the methodology to make sure that the private sector is involved is properly set. And that we have enough lessons from the, you know, the last decade, as it were, the early part of the last decade, to see what could go wrong. And uh, if we avoid those, I think then uh, the government and uh, the private sector, uh, you know, private sector can take the ball and run, let me put it that way, with the government playing a supportive role. But till that is done, I think the government's approach and uh, doing it through the government window is absolutely appropriate. But if you see areas where they believe that uh, the private sector is confident to go and run with the ball, they let you go. For example, telecommunications, in India, it is entirely private sector or rather, predominantly private sector, not so in other comparator uh, countries where it is still predominantly public sector. Airports is now slowly getting to be predominantly uh, private sector, ports, private sector. So I think slowly the mix is changing. And uh, this, uh, I think, uh, in a way is good because uh, we will then have a tested uh, model as it were in which uh, the private sector can step in and take the ball uh, forward.
1: You know, I think what you're saying is, has actually never happened in the history of mankind, right? Never as a country of 1.4 billion people, democratically elected, you know, uh, government and industry working together to bring such a huge shift of transformation. So obviously there will be innovation and learning, you know, as we go along. But, you know, as we look at this size and scale of this opportunity, right? And I know you rightly mentioned that the funding, et cetera, is available, but I think you know, banking and finance sector in India will have to play a very large role also to see how we can make this process very inclusive, right? Because we can't see anyone left behind. So how do you see that particular sector because that's where you've had such a rich experience? You know, if you look 25 years, how do you envision uh, the banking and finance
2: sector? in India? It's a very interesting question, right Again, if I look at comparators, you know, it, it is in the 60s, it was uh, the tiger economies, is then... Uh, 70s, it became Southeast Asia, and uh, then more recently you had the China example. So we have got the example from uh, the developing world, and uh, one thing that you notice uh, very clearly is uh, as economic growth goes near double digits, uh, the financial sector, and it's not just banking, the entire financial sector, grows at maybe one and a half x to 1.75 x. So if we are aspiring for 10% growth, this sector will grow at between 15 and 17 and a half percent. That itself provides uh, the momentum for growth. Now here is an interesting point that you made, inclusive growth. Now, I'll give a small example. You know, We at ICICI in 2005-2006 dreamt that we will bank the unbanked, which meant we will take banking to the masses. We had made initial attempts in uh, terms of uh, laying out technology, which got embraced in the urban areas. But when we went into rural India and tried to roll it out, connectivity was just not there. So, honestly speaking, and we, have, we, we will admit it, and we admitted it that time, we had to roll back or bank the unbanked uh, proposition because we did not have that ability to aspire and conquer that horizon of growth. We called it a horizon of growth. But come 2014, see what happened. In the space of six months, uh, under you know Prime Minister Modi Ji, we could bank the unbanked. So the number of accounts that were open, Jandan accounts, much more than what was basically meant that every Indian had a bank account, which meant that one technology had fallen in place and mindset had fallen in place, alignment of uh, to do as it were, and it happened. I think that technology development has kept a pace. So today, whether it is any for any financial product, from your savings in a bank account to a mutual fund to wherever, to insurance, uh, and transaction, of course, the digital economy that we talked about, the digital transaction economy, everything is possible anywhere in the country. And in, in doing that, we have indeed uh, opened up new paradigms. I'm sure we'll talk about that. So to me, uh, reaching the mass, reaching the unbanked, reaching the poor, I think certainly is possible through the, what has opened up in uh, the technology, finance, I would say, combined as it were or continuum as it were. So it becomes that much easier. So what we need to do then is try to see where is it that finance is needed? Is finance affordable? And can we structure, structure it in a way that you can lend it easily and recover it easily. I think that's what is happening. I will just just touch upon that, even pushing this on a lot further, are the new Digitech finance companies in India because they have no baggage. Uh, their proposition is nimble, agile. The technology they've come out with is nimble and agile. And they are able to uh, reach out to the customer. Either. Today, you have much better, I would say, information on the customer because of uh, Sybil and other scoring that is there as to the customer's behavior. And I think uh, globally, we are seeing the rise of what I call non, not necessary financial information uh, to uh, you know look at uh, the credit uh, worthiness of a customer. Given all this, I think this is uh, playing into an opportunity for uh, the financial services industry to serve the poorest of the poor through properly structuring it. The key here is, of course, keeping interest rates low. And uh, of course, that inflation has to be low. But here again, very interestingly, you see the last years, three years during COVID, the policies adopted by the central government and the Reserve Bank of India in encouraging a system to keep liquidity and keeping interest rates low as compared to other domains. Because we typically would have a big push in of say 5%, you should get your interest rate to 7% and so on and so forth. But this time around, despite the world running a high inflation and trying to change uh, its own uh, approach by keeping interest rates so low. We kept interest rates stable or low. We have, in a way, beaten inflation and uh, we have kept uh, growth going. So I think the Indian model in how to manage uh, you know, in this sort of a situation probably going to be a textbook, textbook case as we go along. But I'm talking, thinking of ourselves. Uh, this board's good for us. Keep interest rates low. Let technology pervade and let it then you know, bring up uh, the mass. Through whatever assistance they need in the financial, you know, I think you talked about the Indian model, right? And the
1: is going out to the world is is so applicable in so many areas, right? Well, of course, what you talked about this continuum model about around COVID, but even the point around technology and finance and the people behind it, right? I think what India has been able to create or Indians have been able to create using technology and finance globally, I think is is something that has gone into the sweat and blood of many of the large tech companies as well. But as we look at India, you know, making this transformative switch both within the country, right, with UPI and what you rightly said, the Dhan Yojana, the, you know, the Mudra Yojana, and so many others, even COVID, right, the way we handled, you know, all of that. Is there a way for India to really lead the world, you know, with governments and nations on, on, on transformation at the country level? You know, how do we see, countries and therefore the world transform. Can India really position itself somewhere there over the next 25 years? And how do you see that happening?
2: You know, I think again, a very, very relevant point and uh, absolutely doable and will happen. Not only doable, it will happen. I'll tell you why. Uh, you take any country in the West, uh, and I won't name countries. Large parts of Europe, for sure, even further uh, West. Um, if you look at uh, a simple payment, uh, like a UPI transaction in India, doesn't exist. Uh, And uh, again, QR code combined doesn't exist. So I have people uh, coming in from U.S. family who who are amazed at what is available here and uh, love to deal with uh, our technology to buy things and uh, stuff in India. So the question is, where can we take this? I think we need to take this first to uh, countries which are at uh, emerging status. The entire African uh, continent to me appears a great opportunity. Then to those countries in Europe which are uh, behind. And then, indeed, to uh, the more developed uh, countries. This doesn't exist anywhere. Even if they were to develop it, the cost that they will uh, spend in doing it is going to be, I would say, uh, several X times uh, Indian cost. Because when I've had an opportunity now to look at this in more detail in the last uh, last one, one and a half years, the cost at which this architecture is built is a fraction of what it will take global leaders to do this. If I were to take a shot, we have built it at one-tenth of the cost it would have taken in the West. And uh, if you talk to any of the Digitech or the FinTech startups, it is all freeware. It is all open source. It is all their own people. No you know, big name has been involved in this. The perfectly working model has been uh, rolled out uh, in a very quick time. So to me, it's something to be very proud of. Now comes what you said. We need to productize this and productize this and take it abroad. But that itself also will add something else to another layer to, I think, the India it's say brand as it were. For example, today, for a long period of time, all settlement takes place on one platform, not for any other reason, but that was the only platform available for banks, globally. Now, UPI can easily become a platform for like-minded people to trade and settle, and other things that are done by Reserve Bank, including the central bank digital currency, all come together So you have a currency which can be settled very easily. You have the settlement mechanism which could be done. So it could be on a bipartite basis or a multi-partite basis, uh, depending on where you want. But we then stand on our own feet in our ability to settle with our uh, trading partners and business partners. And we will use all all global uh, settlement systems also simultaneously. So productize it, stand on your own feet, and have the ability to uh, uh, transact on a, a wider base is what is You All of them, plus UPI, plus rupee, a whole lot of things can be taken at very low cost and ported to other countries. Uh, and you know, then I think uh, brand India as a technology provider will truly stand out. And sectorally also, you see this happening, right?
1: Across, say, healthcare, you see that happening across agriculture. You see, it, you know, because today, you use the word tech after the word or digital before. It makes complete sense,
2: right? So India <laughs> can take this to the world. Yeah. 100%, it can be used in every single thing. You mentioned uh, Covin and uh, that app. That app, uh, that app to me is a stellar app. I mean, we have not given credit uh, for that app to uh, the extent that we should give that app because it dealt with uh, 1.5 billion people. It was real-time. I have seen very few failures there. You know, There would have been uh, you know, multiple 100,000 customers uh, or citizens getting onto that app simultaneously. You always got your OTP. You could always log in. There wasn't, except in the first one week or so, after that, it was absolutely stable. And I don't think there is any other example that we can put anywhere in the world. In such a quick time, such a mass application became stable and provided uh, service of a great order. So to me, I think there are several such stacks and I, I'm not going into it. There are people who have delayered, uh, I would say, an organization and uh, made it into an SAS type of opportunity. I saw somebody, hospitals, all supplies to hospitals completely delayed and uh, outsourced uh, at maybe one fifth or one tenth the cost that the hospital would have spent on uh, you know doing it uh, and running it so every single thing to me is a product and uh, i think in the next two years we'll see momentum in that uh, product uh, at this point in time everybody's concentrating on domestic but global will happen
1: you know you've always been a strong uh, supporter and a pioneer when it comes to you know new technology innovation even like like right, the ATM concept, right, in banks, so many other things that you know you took up, right, and you continue to to believe in the power of technology to transform, you know, not only countries but people's lives. And I know you've done that. When did belief really come into you, and and how has that moved over these say last few decades? I know it's a little personal question, but you know I just love to know that, right, because you are so optimistic. You
2: know, I mean, the future of India, you based on that. I remember the conversation we had in the past. I will answer that in a very short thing because that otherwise, yeah. too many decades. You know, the first time I was exposed to a machine was in 1980 when uh, I was uh, setting up ICSS leading department. And I needed technology for uh, doing a few things. And uh, those days, you know, pre, you know, your, your own, uh, it's a tabletop machine uh, that you had, a single piece. And we used it, uh, and it's the first time I found that you don't need an IT department, you can do things yourself. There's something called SuperCalc, which is, uh, you know, today you could call it uh, your Excel. And there was something called WordPerfect, which is your word. And you had a D-based management system. With these three, my colleagues, uh, you know, none of whom were techies, a couple of child accountants, myself, we could make the machine dance. So then you, you believe that you could harness the energy of the machine yourself rather than go through a tech department. And that's what we did in 96, 97 in ICA-7, we rolled out. Then theory of constraints. We had to roll out ATM technology because say a bank had some 200 or 200 branches and we were given uh, 15 new branches a year initially. And uh, you know, the largest competitor had 10,000 branches. So how do you get there? 50 branches a year, 10,000 branches. You said you will roll out ATMs, 1,000 ATMs in one year, then internet banking, then call centers, back offices, and so on. So a combination of constraints, uh, opportunity that is arising, ability to take a leap forward and proceed. I won't talk more about this. I'm talking now of the youngsters of today. I'm seeing them do the same thing. And the incumbents, I think have to learn from these uh, new posts, I call them new posts. Uh, in the entire digital field, whichever uh, field, finance, healthcare, manufacturing, whichever. These guys are now taking a leap out. They are keeping their eyes and ears open. They are the first assimilators of new technology. They are not scared of working at the boundary, at the margin. And they're making it happen. They're making it happen. So I hope that it becomes a lesson for the incumbents. They quickly, uh, in a way, re-arrange uh, their own mind as it were. Because this is going to be otherwise a very interesting competitive landscape. And I would think that uh, as of today, the new course, the Digitech startups have the upper hand. So incumbents need to be uh, come up to speed, tackle this. But it's all for the good.
1: Now, I don't think they'll have a choice. You know, over the last decade, we've been building new age businesses. You know, around Gen Zs and Gen Alphas, right? Those who are even like 14, 15 years old today—they are so digitally native, right? I mean, they, they, there is no way that they're going to be anywhere else. At least as of today, the way we see them, and we built businesses, you know, in gaming and you know, wellness and livelihoods and new ways of engaging. It's crazy the way their behavior. Is has moved and shape. So I think incumbents and others, you know, if they want to get the future consumers, or you know, when you talk of in India, twenty forty seven, the 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 consumption base at that time. I I don't know where technologies will take us, you know, in this period. But definitely, having a, a an adapt- adaptability to change, use technology, and make it integral, you know, to the process is going to be, you know, uh, so so important. And I know why we've talked about all the. Positive and you know all the all the you know opportunities that exist. I think another way to look at you know the crisis or the I would say the the global challenges that we face today, right? Both the uncertainty, you know, the supply chains getting divided, the geopolitical situation, of course, the impact of COVID. I don't even know whether we're still through with that, and so many other factors you know that are playing out today in these uncertain times. I think. Over history, we've seen India's resilience, of course, come back, come up, but, you know, sometimes it's taken longer than we've expected for certain changes due to a lot of geopolitical, you know, uncertainties. But how do do you see us building that resilience, you know, over these next 25 years? What do you think it will take? What is it that we should definitely be doing as a country and as citizens of the country, if we want to make sure India is able to you know, not only overcome these challenges, but actually, you know, use this as an opportunity for us
2: to emerge. I think very good that question, Rajan. And uh, if we we had uh, this discussion and you'd ask me this question, say, three years back, I would have said, this is a challenge and I do not know how it will play out. We need need to work on it. But, uh, you know, I've had a mindset change post-COVID because in the first six months of COVID, when we were all locked out, I could see everybody's mind got reset and I've been at that point of time, whenever I was speaking in a virtual mode, I used this phrase, minds got reset in the blink of an eye. And uh, I think it taught me a lesson that uh, the, uh, don't underestimate le- resilience. I'll give you one ex- two examples. One in our own uh, building, the apartment complex I am in. Within the first two days, because shops were shut, the women got together and set up supply chains. Within seven, eight days, it became supply chain from the field virtually. From somewhere, you know, wherever some uh, agriculture produce, fresh produce is grown into your home. Initially, payment was at the gate when the supply came, but within ten days it became to uh, some sort of digital. Within two weeks, the supplier had set up, a, you know, an app and uh, was expecting payment on the app. And within, like, say, a few days after that, it became like UPI payment and uh, online payment. So you had prepaid your stuff. It came in, there was, you know, hands-off delivery uh, left on uh, this at uh, the gate and uh, you went went down and fetched it at the right time. And I'm sure this has happened throughout. I'm just using as an example of how quickly this happened. But the key here was not only the the supplier who was probably in the remote area, but when I look at the, the, I call them the leaders in this, at the apartment level, the women, older women who did not and never in their life had used to say an Excel sheet Basically saying, how do I operate an Excel sheet? What is Google? uh, What is Google Sheet? Learning and then, uh, in a way, doing good with it. In the sense that whatever was needed to get on with it was uh, gotten done in the blink of an eye. If this can happen at that level, people who are older—I am talking of people sixties, late sixties—their mind got reset. Youngsters are, you know, they have grown up in this field. Whether it is in the abject. You know, rural area, uh, the, the, the most backward, as we call it, rural area, in terms of technology and uh, development, not having reached, or in the most uh, developed part of any city. I think technology is a leveler. Everybody has same access to technology, and they know how to fiddle with technology, play with technology, put it to good use. So today, it has become a leveler. Second advantage that is there is the cost of technology, acquiring the hardware and the software, the data cost you know, going down to the level we have has made it equal, again, becomes a big provider of resilience. The third is, uh, I said, there were two parts. One was, uh, I said, people mindset. So the people mindset, I, again, I am thinking aloud. I would like to use this phrase. Demographic had a particular meaning earlier. Young people. I say that demographic definitions were shredded apart by the first one month of COVID when older people became as agile, as nimble as younger people. So you now have a demographic which stretches from people who are toddlers or youngsters who are toddlers to old people who are prob- probably walking around with a stick, stick. Uh, everybody in agile and uh, nimble enough. to The second one is from industry. This is a very interesting example. Uh, probably you were there in the council meeting where I shared this. I talked to Gopal Srinivasan, uh, maybe October or so of uh, 2020. I said, Gopal, his uh, you know, production back to normal in Chennai. Yeah, yeah, you know, mostly around, around 95 to 100%. I said, I mean, people come back? There's no Mr. Kamath, only 75% have come back. I said, then how are you? How is industry reaching 9,500? Oh, some process change, some digital that. So basically, between new technology, process change, and so on, in my term, you had gained probably 20, 25% production, productivity gain. And you could then see that sort of productivity gain translating into their l in the, the next few uh, quarters. So clearly, mindset got reset there also. So, you've got a reset in mind at the shop floor level what to do. You have a reset in mind of the general junta, as it were. So, what is required is probably a reset of incumbent players in terms of their ability to use technology and harvest technology. Otherwise, I think the resilience is there. I'm not worried about it.
1: You know, and you saw in these times, you know, also a lot of new models emerge, right? Especially… With digital proliferation we saw blockchain cryptocurrencies we've seen the deepening of that and then of course you know also the crisis that that followed you know so i think we will face these kind of challenges as new technology gets adopted you know and 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 newer ways of of operating keeps coming up but but tell me just quickly before we move to some of the you know other other topics that are there since our time has really run fast and you know we have 10 minutes uh, on this specific area of, you know, how the financial markets, you know, will get uh, kind of not disrupted, but uh, you know, the impact of crypto and some of these things. Would you have any thoughts around some of these uh, yeah. tech challenges that would come up over the
2: future? See uh, again, uh, if we look at uh, products, you know newer products, crypto was touted as a newer product, but any product without an underlying in financial jargon we call it underlying something that. You know, denotes underlying value uh, will uh, you know fail, and that's what again the governor of the Reserve Bank was always saying it. This saying that this, is, this has no underlying value, and some of us also said uh, say This is no underlying value, and now I think globally it is accepted that it has no underlying value. So I think these fads won't happen. But what will prevail? Uh, what will prevail? Indeed, is central bank digital currency will prevail. Online, uh, you know, settling and uh, online transacting will prevail, uh, and with or without blockchain, because uh, Again, blockchain was, you built, uh, you said, the uh, crypto on blockchain. That is why, and then you said it had an application. And then you tried to confuse uh, matters by saying blockchain is crypto, crypto is blockchain. So I think robust platforms will be built with or without, without uh, blockchain. So I'm not going to go into that. But the financial system will innovate in terms of transactions, settlement, and so on and so forth in uh, you know, using technology in an agile and active manner. I'll just give a data input. You know, we built, I say, say technology uh, with the premise that Moore's law is alive and kicking. Mm-hmm. That is, price performance ratio will improve at a square every year, and of course, costs will drop. A few years back, uh, I was talking to Vishal Sitka, formerly of Infosys, and I asked him about AI. He said, AI, uh, the price performance ratio is doubling every three and a half years, or three and a half months, not every two years, three and a half months. So you can Im- imagine what was happening in the year. And this is about three years back. Recently I was talking to him and he said, now the price performance ratio of software, software, not hardware, software is doubling every uh, year. So you have a whole lot of things that are converging in terms of your ability to bring costs down for common good. And I think we are are going to ride that. India is going to ride that. I just want to touch on this. If you see, we have benefited from riding a whole lot of technologies when costs have already disrupted down. Take for example, uh, Solar energy from almost twenty rupees per unit, we uh, are down to two and a half rupees per unit, and our massive expansion is happening at two and a half rupees per unit uh, effective cost. Uh, telecom, uh, I won't go on. So we are again able to harvest these benefits as we go along, and that's going to be uh, to our uh, good. Yeah, and I think I think you know it's what you rightly said. Is the is the
1: young people right who are who are not only using this technology but also going to kind of create this. Right. And position India, you know, in, in, in that position as we go ahead, you know, to the world. And you know, the demography, while you talked of the demography being extended from a digital usage, et cetera, we still remain you know, amongst the youngest countries in the world. Right? I think our young people, you know, one in ten people in the world is an Indian under the age of 25 even today. So over the next 25 years, this is going to be the productive workforce not only for India, for the world. You know, what's your message to the young people of this country?
2: Yeah, the young people to me in the last three years, they were demonstrated what they could do. You know, we are talking about the entire digital uh, universe, which will account for at least, I believe, 25% of uh, the economy. And uh, I am convinced that they are the ones who will drive this. They are the ones who will drive the service economy of this country. And of course, uh, what they have done and the discoveries that they have done and the knowledge and thought that they have brought the table will then permeate into incumbents and uh, what I call uh, older industries. But they, if they drive 25% of the economy for the next five years, we are home in terms of uh, uh, what uh, we want to achieve. Uh, India at uh, 140 billion economy because that is the piece that they push in place. The rest of it, six, seven, eight percent growth, all our traditional businesses will uh, push and uh, get it there. But the missing link to me was this and uh, seeing what uh, has been achieved in the last uh, three, four years. They are the people, 21, 22 years. Even today, I tell incumbents uh, again, that you want technology transformation in your company. Tell me how many below 25-year-old people are around the CEO. If you are going to tell me that your incumbent structure is going to do it, no. So you empower a group of four or five, not more than that, young people around you, and see what will happen because they see a different through a different lens. And you ought to see through their lens, and then you will learn.
1: No, I think that's such a such a powerful and important you know message for for everyone to take back. But you know, the the young people, right? To enable them to to perform to their best potential, right? I mean, you know, we what you rightly said. We've got the numbers, we have them there. You know, what should they be doing? You know, I know acquiring skills is something. Is there any specific? message or a routine or something that you've seen because you've you know you've been one of the biggest believers in the power of the youth I mean I cannot identify anybody but someone like you uh,
2: in all these years that I've met what what tell young people you know how do how you see, do their best all all that young people have to do is keep their ears and eyes open and they are doing it you have to just go on uh, Google and search uh, uh, who is uh, who has been the fastest growing uh, YouTube uh, blogger uh-huh. who created on a daily basis. The 21-year-old kid who is uh, probably just about high school. He has a, he has probably the highest number of subscribers and highest number of daily views. His daily views are around 6 million. He's making $500 per million, which is good for him. You know, he's, uh, And 6 million you can multiply and uh, 365 days. Now, he comes from a village. If you see the village that he came from, where there is no sewage, there is no water supply. Uh, and from there, he has a single telephone uh, with a single phone Uh, He started, uh, he started uh, blogging and see where he has reached. And this becomes inspiration to, uh, you know, his, he's got what? what? No, one and a half crores of followers. He's one and a half crores of followers. And uh, this forms what I call a very positive ecosystem. And only goes to prove that technology is today pervasive. And uh, whatever technology, now he blogs, it's all right. I'm talking of, we are talking of corporate. the same mindset has to be brought here and. You know, could be done. Uh, we need to look at what is out there and see how do we want to be a part of it. Yeah, the youth spirit of go
1: get it and make it happen. Yeah. I think very, very, you know, very, very important. You know, as we come to the last few minutes, you know, kamada must I have to, you know, uh, take you back to that journey of, you know, India at seventy-five, where you know, C. K. Prahlad, yourself, you know, we really came together as a group and and envision, you know, where India would be in 2022. And we really here, you know, we are, we've just completed, you know, our Amrit Mahotsav, and we are entered 23. And this next phase, you know, I still remember you mentioning that all these marathons have to be run in 100-meter sprints. Uh, You know, 25 years is a long time. You know, how do we measure ourselves every few years? How do we really put processes in place? And I'm sure, you know, the underlying optimism that you have talked of will be achieved. But if you were to, you know, I would say dream of of the India of 2025, right? Like you go to bed and you wake up in that India of 2025, right? What do you see? Right? How how do you dream? What's your vision? How do you really envision that India of of, of, uh, 2047? And also underlying
2: that is your youthful aspiration for them. Yeah, I think uh, the first thing that I would uh, think we need to make sure happens is that aspiration of what we used to term as the bottom of the pyramid, those aspirations have, have been met. And at uh, the simplest, they could uh, mean that they have an abode, they have water supply, they have uh, other means of, and they have livelihood. I think this would be the minimum layer that we need to ensure. So whatever we have to do has to be done, keeping that in mind, which again is a, to me a growth opportunity, because if you address the village and build, uh, you know, infrastructure and uh, the basics in the village, including homes and things like that. Or encourage them to build homes and give them the livelihood. I think you are halfway to success because that's a large market for us and that's a large uh, opportunity. And then you know you layer each uh, part of uh, economy and overlay what you have seen somewhere else achievable and achieved. So then we cut from the village to the urban. I would like to say every urban clearly. Climate-wise, uh, has got climate under control. Transportation-wise, has got transportation uh, under control, and has become a hub of economic activity. Which means that, uh, and around you, you see uh, all the things that uh, you would love to see, uh, you've seen elsewhere, but are not there uh, today. Uh, whether it is cleanliness, whether it is uh, greenery, and uh, so on and so forth. So I would think that there are, you know, measurable benchmarks we can set ourselves uh, against and aim for, whether it is urban or whether it is, whether it is rural. And make sure that happens. I think wealth itself, I don't think, is going to be the key differentiator. It is basically meeting aspirations and that creating a livelihood where you believe that what you would have liked to have, you have got.
1: I think we are in a very unique point in history. You know where I think India is going to see this shift and jump, and you know it's it's only a matter of time that we can you know embark on this journey and, and actually see that change happen, you know, together. It's been such an energizing 45 minutes. We have taken so much of your time, always, as usual, you know, exciting, optimistic, you know, about about the future of India. And I'm sure what we have discussed today, you know, will be different aspects of what we have spoken will be used uh, in many, many, you know, areas, whether it's in the private sector and the government sector and many others uh, to see how we can, position India where it needs to be in 2047. So again, Kamath, thank you so much for being here, sparing your time and, and, you know, guiding and helping us navigate this this maze of
2: where India can reach in 2047. Thank you. Thank you, Rajan, and thank you. All good wishes to all
0: of us. This was K.V. Kamath, past president of CII and former president of New Development Bank in an interesting conversation with host Rajan Navani, where he shared his vision for India at 100. Thank you all for tuning into the I Have a Dream podcast. Stay tuned for more conversations where we explore what India has overcome and what India can do to become a strong leader as we enter a golden period.